All right, good morning. Uh, my name is Dwayne Spearman, and welcome to Directional Bible Ministries, a teaching ministry that is called to encourage, disciple, and challenge the people of God. Uh, today is September the 10th, and we are continuing to work our way through the book of Acts. We are in Acts chapter number 18, and yesterday we got down through verse number 12. Um, here in chapter number 18, uh, we are. Paul is in Corinth. Um, he After he left Athens, remember, he was uh, talking with the uh, Epicureans and the Stoics and the unknown God. He comes down in, into Corinth. He meets up with Aquila and Priscilla, um, and they begin to uh, make tents together uh, because that was their, their craft by trade. Uh, they were tent makers. And as was his custom, he began to reason in the synagogue every Sabbath, persuading both Jews and Greeks in regards to who the Christ was. And then Silas and Timotheus, uh, they caught up with him. Um, and Paul was pressed in his spirit to testify to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. And of course, Paul did this throughout his ministry. Uh, he had a just an insatiable desire to see his brethren, his Jewish brethren, uh, turn to Christ as the Messiah. And they opposed themselves, and they blasphemed. And he shook his raiment, and he said unto them, Your blood be upon your own heads. I'm clean. From henceforth I'm going to go to the Gentiles. Now, of course, that was just in regards to the synagogue there at Corinth. He that's the first time he, he walked away. Well, it's really the first time he hadn't got thrown out. <laughs> Normally, he didn't have much of a say. That's usually where it broke down, and he had issues like in Thessalonica and Berea. Uh, but he said, you know what? I'm through with this synagogue here in Corinth. I'm going to go to the Gentiles. And he departed thence, and he entered a certain man's house named Justice. And Justice was a Gentile that worshipped God. His house was right next door to the synagogue. And Crispus, the chief ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all of his house and many of the Corinthians. So here we have what uh, most believed to be the birth of the Corinthian church. And then spake the Lord to Paul in the night by a vision, said, Do not be afraid, but speak and hold not thy peace, for I am with thee, and no man shall set to hurt thee, for I have much people in this city. Um, it just seems to me that Paul needed some encouragement, and the Lord came. And of course, you notice in the, in our newer in our translations, it's in red. Uh, this means that the Lord Jesus is actually the one speaking to Paul. Last time he spoke to him directly like this was on the road to Damascus in Acts chapter number nine. And as a result of that encouragement, he continued there another year and six months teaching the word of God among the people. And when Galileo was the deputy of Achaia, the Jews made insurrection with one accord against Paul and brought him to the judgment seat. So here we go. Uh, the, the Jews are making an, an insurrection against him. That means they were rebelling against him. They were plotting against him. Um, and they brought him before the judgment seat, saying, This fellow persuadeth men to worship God contrary to the law. So the very fact that they were uh, accusing Paul of persuading men to worship God contrary to the law 
makes it pretty clear that Paul was indeed teaching the gospel of grace that did not require the keeping of the law. So it's pretty obvious that Paul was indeed teaching the gospel of grace here. Uh, they saw what he was teaching as contrary to the law. Now, some people will say the Jews were in error here, but understand these Jews were obviously unbelieving Jews, um, and what they were accusing Paul of, he was guilty of. Um, the gospel of grace does not require the keeping of the law. So their accusation against him was, was 100% correct here. He was teaching a salvation apart from works. Um, the very nod, the very acknowledgement of this fact is a nod to a, a new dispensation, um, a, a new way of God dealing with man. I am a dispensationalist within Christianity or within Christendom. Um, you have two different lenses through which we can interpret the Scripture. Um, one lens is through covenants. God deals with man in covenants. The other lens is God deals with man through dispensations. And the third lens is confusion <laughs> and a mixture of the two. Um, I would probably say that the average um, Christian in America is confused. Um, they will say they are one or the other, but you will find them mixing one with the other. Um, really, they're not to be mixed. Um, uh, let me give you an example of that that I am struggling with. Um, and this is just me laying it out there for you guys. Um, for example, I am a dispensationalist. Uh, I don't believe that God deals with Gentiles or the body of Christ with covenants. We are not the covenant people. God doesn't make covenants with Gentiles. God didn't make covenants. The covenants were, didn't, were not with, uh, they were all with the nation of Israel. Even the new covenant, um, and even the Jewish people at this point are not under the new covenant. The new covenant was offered, but it was rejected. So, therefore, I couldn't be, I could not view the Bible through the lens of covenants because I believe that whole um, filter system is incorrect. Uh, it, it It's replacement theology. It's placing, it's giving, it's making the body of Christ God's covenant people, uh, and we're not, never were, never will be. Um I'm dispensational, and I went over that the other day. You know, it's just um, uh, dispensation is a given period in redemptive history that God deals with man certain ways. Uh, we are currently under the dispensation of grace. We're no longer under the dispensation of law. But this is where I'm struggling. I've always said, yes, I'm, I'm dispensational, uh, in order to be covenant, you have to look at the Bible through the lens of um, that the, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, I'm trying to, you have to spiritualize 
the text to get to where you want to go in order to be covenant. So when God is in the New Testament, for example, when he's speaking to the church or speaking to Israel, he's actually speaking to the church. Um and a place where dispensationalists do this is we'll say, no, we believe the Bible has to be interpreted line upon line, precept upon precept, literally. But then we'll get to the book of Acts, or not to the book of Acts, but the book of Revelation, and we'll spiritualize the book, uh, especially in chapters 2 and 3. Uh, and we'll say that is speaking to the body of Christ, that's speaking to the churches throughout the ages. It's it's speaking to the you know the apostolic church and you know all the way down to where we are in the Laodicean church. So we will say, well, we believe the scripture should be interpreted literally, but then we'll turn around and spiritualize like the covenant folks do, chapter two and three of the book of Revelation. I have come to the new conviction that the book of Revelation, the church, that is not what chapters 2 and 3 are talking about. The chapters 2 and 3 are dealing with literal churches, and we cannot spiritualize them and make it that he's talking to the body of Christ. Again, that's just a subtle thing, but it affects everything. When we do that, uh, if you if you in the mid-Acts position, if the church was not born in Acts chapter 2, it was born under the Apostle Paul, and only the writings of the Apostle Paul apply to the body of Christ, Romans through Philemon. That means all the Hebrew epistles, Hebrews through Revelation, is not to the body of Christ, it's to the nation of Israel. Again, we can't take Revelation 2 and 3 and spiritualize it and make it say something that it does not say. You understand what I'm saying? Um, But we tend to cross lines with covenant and dispensational theology, and I just don't think um, those those lines can be crossed. Um, Scott said, are they tribulational churches? Some Bible teachers will say that the seven churches did not exist at the time John wrote the book of Revelation, and they were yet future. I personally find that to be a little preposterous. I believe that John was writing to literal churches that he was preparing for the literal tribulation. So they were Hebrew churches, Um that were um, going to be in the tribulation. And understand, in the mind of the apostles, they believed that the Messiah came, um, he was crucified, he rose again from the dead. Forty days, he showed them how that had to happen in order for the kingdom to be legitimately offered. Um. And then Peter offered them the kingdom in Acts chapter number 2, which should have been followed by national repentance, tribulation period, second coming kingdom. That's what coulda, woulda, shoulda happened, but didn't. So I, I believe Revelation is to the Jews, to Jewish churches, um, 
preparing them for the tribulation. Now, of course, all of that now is going to be future, but I don't think, I think John was writing to literal churches. Um, so, but again, that's a path that I'm going down. It's a struggle. I have a whole doctoral dissertation <laughs> on the seven churches of Revelation, um, past, present, and future. Um, but uh, I'm, I'm, I'm being forced to change that now uh, because of that, because, again, we're mixing covenant theology with uh, dispensational theology. We're missing... We're we're, play, we're mixing spiritual theology with literal, uh, spiritual interpretation with literal interpretation. So I too am at a crossroads at time where I'm having to question everything that I've been taught. But the more I do it, the sweeter it becomes because now the contradictions are being removed. It's starting to make sense to me. Does that make sense? Um, I hope it does. If it doesn't. Down the path, down the path. Um, uh, I still hear things, and I shake my head, you know, but as the days go by, I'm like, oh, man, now that makes sense to me. So, anyway, I hope you understand that. There's two lenses interpreting the Scripture, covenant, dispensational, and confused. Uh, most fall into the confused category. Even, for example, Acts chapter number 2. Uh, nowhere in Acts chapter number 2 does it say the church was born. Nowhere in Acts chapter 2 does it say the church was born. You have to spiritualize that text in order to get that. The only Gentiles there are proselytes. They've already been proselytized into Judaism. So we say in one sentence, we believe the Bible needs to be literally interpreted, but then we turn around and we spiritualize certain sections of the Scripture to say something that it literally does not say. So again, you, you've got a mixture of the two, and I don't, the two cannot be mixed. Uh, the fact that the two are mixed is why we have so much confusion uh, in the church today. I mean, think about the confusion that comes just from the acts to belief. I mean, just the differences in the in the in the denominations between you know tongues and, and charismatics and baptismal regeneration and you know, um, how we, we uh, church leadership and, you know, um, I mean, just think about all the confusion that comes from misinterpreting the first several chapters of the book of Acts. And again, you have to spiritualize it to find the church there. I mean, Paul point blank says, I was the first. I was a pattern to everyone else that should come thereafter. Literally what that means is, Paul was the first one to be converted into the body of Christ. Again, that's a literal interpretation of the passage. Uh, again, we, we're guilty of spiritualizing. We're guilty of fluctuating and going back and forth. And, and I just believe that's where so much confusion uh, comes into the church. I look back on some of my teachings and cringe um, sometimes. Um, Heck, I look back on some of my teachings just in this program the past couple of months, and, and, and uh, we're all <laughs> like Paul. Uh, we're coming to a knowledge um, of the truth. I was talking with a buddy of mine. He and I were in the, in the Marine Corps together. He was six Marines. I was fifth Marines. But we'd lost touch with each other 20-plus years, and and then we 
we caught back up before I came to uh, Lynchburg uh, in Texas. He lives out in San Angelo. And we began talking. And again, I had not started this uh, this mid-axe road yet, this rightly dividing path yet. But he said some things that I that made me think, what 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 the heck is he talking about? But in hindsight, he had already started to go down this path, <laughs> and now we've been catching up with each other the past uh, couple of weeks uh, through through the app Marco Polo. Uh, you know, same thing happened with Scott, you know, and me. We, it, you know, it's just starting to click. Um, it's exciting. It's exciting. Hang in there. If you don't understand it, hopefully you will later. Even the Apostle Paul, uh, he did not understand everything at the same time. Uh, he did not just get zapped on the Damascus Road and hallelujah, he understood the postponement of the kingdom. He understood the issue of baptism. He understood that the nation of Israel had been set aside. He understood the rapture. He didn't. He came to a knowledge of those things. Um, he he learned, just like we learn. So um, have faith. <laughs> and then notice in verse number fourteen, and when Paul was now about to open his mouth. Uh, Gallio said unto the Jews, If it were a matter of wrong or wickedness or lewdness, O ye Jews, reason would that I should bear with you. In other words, what Galileo is saying is, if, if they had done something that was a violation of Roman law, I would put up with this. But as it stands right now, this obviously has something to do um, with with your your laws, with your religion. Uh, he says, uh, but if it be a question of the words and names of your law, you look to it, for I will be no judge of such matters. And he drove them from the judgment seat. So, Again, Galileo was apparently part of the Roman government, and he wanted nothing to do with this situation. Um, it's almost like what happened with Jesus. Pilate recognized pretty quickly that the Jews were just moved to envy against Jesus, that Jesus hadn't really broken any Roman laws, and he tried to do the same thing Galileo did here. He just tried to dismiss it and push it off. But... Pilate was was motivated by by politics and power, and he ended up doing the wrong thing. So he tells him, you know, you guys go and handle this. It's interesting. The word bima, the word judgment seat, um, is the word bima uh, that we are also accustomed to hearing about, where we will each appear one day. Uh, in uh, First Second Corinthians five ten, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. It's the same word, uh, bema seat, uh, that every one of us may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Let me let me give you a clue. When you start quoting scripture, now see, I'm quoting Second Corinthians, so I know this is Paul. <laughs> and I know Paul's talking to the body of Christ. Not all the time. You got to look at the context. But, you know, when people start pulling up 
the Gospels, when people start pulling up the Hebrew epistles to start making their points about the church, there should be little red flags and bells going off in your head that there's a good chance that has nothing to do with the church. Um, but anyway, we do see the word Bema here, and we as the body of Christ are told that we are going to be, we're going to stand before the Bema of Christ and be rewarded for the works that we have done. Um, so just very interesting note. And then look in verse 17. Then all the Greeks took Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him before the judgment seat, and Galileo cared for none of those things. Interestingly, because then all the Greeks took Sosthenes, why would the Greeks take Sosthenes and beat him? Um, it's the Jews that are making the accusation. Um, you tracking me there? Um only the King James uh, says then all the Greeks took Sosthenes. Um, the other translations um, say, and they all took hold of Sosthenes, the leader of the synagogue. Um, the NIV, which I'm not the biggest fan of the NIV, it's just on my uh, <clears throat> computer. And they, then they all turned on Sosthenes. So only the, the KJV says then all the Greeks took Sosthenes. Um, in the original, uh, the word Greek uh, here, uh, get back to the KJV, the word Greeks here, uh, as we've been learning as we're going along here, is Hellenes. So these were non-Jews. These were Gentiles. You know, it's just why would the Gentiles... Um, take um, Sosthenes and beat him. They're not the ones that are making the accusation. Um, now, some translations or some commentaries will say that it is actually the Hellenist Jews <clears throat> that did this. But that's not what the King James is saying there, and that's not the word <clears throat> in the original. So, I don't know, maybe the, the King James uh, shouldn't have put the word Greek there. Um, because usually in the King James, when it's referring to uh, uh, Jews, um, uh, Jewish, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, uh, Jews, Gentiles who had, or when it's, it refers to Grecians, Grecians, are Jews that speak Greek. Uh, Grecians were Jews that were raised outside of Israel. So anyway, just the original does not support that uh, these are actual Hellenistas. I mean, these are, these are Greeks. So it leads me to believe that maybe the King James translators shouldn't have put that word Greeks in there. So <clears throat> now Sosthenes is mentioned again. So he sticks around. He's mentioned again in 1 Corinthians 1.1, Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God and Sosthenes. So maybe because of this event, he decided to leave the synagogue and team up with Paul uh, as a result of this event. So, um, And then in verse number 18, and after Paul 
after after Paul and Paul after this tarried there yet a good while. So he still didn't run away. Uh, that word of encouragement the Lord gave him must have been pretty good <laughs> because he still tarried there even yet a while, even when they're making insurrection against him in the city. Uh, and they took and took his leave of the brethren and sailed thence to Syria and with him Priscilla and Aquila. So Priscilla and Aquila is coming with him after having shorn his head and sing Sincrea for he had a vow. So tomorrow we'll talk about he shaved his head. Um, why did he do that? What kind of vow are we talking about there? And we'll talk a little bit about that because for some reason, Paul is anxious to get to Jerusalem. Uh, and most believe, but again, you got to read it into the text. I've hold, have heard whole sermons on it, <laughs> that Paul had made a Nazarite vow here and that he needed to get to the temple to make the sacrifice, uh, to culminate that vow. So we'll talk about that tomorrow. So anyway, God bless you guys. Good to see you again, Scott. God bless you, my brother and Mac. Good to have you along for the ride, brother. Hope that you're doing well. And um, God bless you guys. Y'all have a great day. We'll be back tomorrow morning at 630, and we'll pick up in verse number 18.